Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Where did it go wrong? <laughs> when I started selling drugs. Frank Stedman. Drug trafficker from Essex. Caught up in an £80 million cocaine bust. There was no risk doing that, though. Working legitimately on a scaffolding site. There wasn't no risk. It was, it was my insecurities of having no money. I got a phone call from someone in the higher drug world to say, do you want to come and do bigger drops for loads more money? I just said, yeah. You had an instinct that something was wrong, but you didn't think it was going to be wrong where you get nicked. I pulled up at my kid's mum's house. Police have shut the road off. Helicopters hovered above her house. And I thought, oh my God, this is happening in front of my kids. I've ruined my kids' lives. I got the phone call saying the job's gone over. And I was like, what? And they said, the job's gone over. And I was like, you knew it. I said, what do I do now? They said, leave the country. I said, where do I go? So I sneaked over to Ireland and then booked my flight. Last opportunity, got on the plane and flew to Thailand. Welcome to Second Chance Podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This show centres around the question of who deserves a second chance, who has the power to grant it and what it means. Our guests come from diverse backgrounds and experiences, including those who have received second chances and those who some might feel are undeserving. We'll also be looking at how a person's journey can lead them to a second chance. Frank Stedman, a lad from Essex, was arrested at Heathrow Airport on a flight back from Thailand, having fled there to escape capture for his involvement in an £80 million drug supply conspiracy. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to nine years in prison. Driven by his greed for money, Frank became a runner for an organised drug trafficking gang. He transported and delivered large sums of money and kilos of drugs across the country until the authorities caught up with him and his co-conspirators. However, there is always more to a story. In this episode, Frank speaks openly about his experiences and the lessons he learned and now advocates that crime does not pay. He hopes that by sharing his own story, he can discourage others from following a similar path. Frank, thanks for coming in 
to meet me. It's 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 a pleasure. And we were just talking about how we connected in the yeah. first place with the tried and tested social media. Yeah. I it's good and bad thing, isn't it? I'm, I'm always having conversations about whether it is positive or negative. I'm I'm an advocate. You know, yeah. you can reach people all around the world. Well, you you're can connect. Time in someone in in halfway across the world. That's got to be a good thing. Yeah, my it? sister. I was talking to her yesterday, and she sort of said, "I'm fed up of walking down the road and the cameras are on me." And I'm sort of saying, "You've got to reframe it and think that those cameras are protecting you." Because if some yeah. guy's walking behind you with a menacing, and if you're not doing anything wrong, who cares who's watching? Who, I think. who cares? I'm I'm I'm, I'm the yeah. same. Yeah. But look, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. The reason I asked you to come in here is because I I heard a little bit about your story listening to another podcast, actually. Yeah. And I know you reached out because you've watched my Netflix show. Yeah. But what really interested me was your, your narrative about your own story. When you read a headline that says 80 million pound cocaine yeah. or, you know, cartels, yeah. This guy got 28 years, this guy got nine years, this guy was on the run. Yeah. You know, so you were described of being part of a kind of criminal organized gang organized yeah. gang and then i listened to you talk on a podcast yeah and it just felt like you were so far removed from that yeah i probably Can't... was when i was doing it I, it's funny i had to and from from a podcast guy that I'd, I'd done in the beginning he he wanted to put gangster in the thing and i kept saying i'm not and he said mm. no it frank it's clickbait and i you know i didn't understand it then mm. i understand it now but i was like that you know, that's not, like you said, my narrative. My narrative is a... Uh, and that's important yeah. because you've been described as somebody who's involved in a massive cocaine importation yeah. gang and that were linked Which to... Which I was, I suppose. But how would you describe yourself? My actual self, uh, you know, I, I'm an easygoing, happy-go-lucky bloke and I was more so as a kid. Uh, prison probably changed that a little bit. But um, carefree... But, I, you know, hardworking, I've always always worked in scaffolding from when my children were born. But then, you know, you can't say you're an honourable person because I ended up going to prison and, you know, my family, my, leaving my kids. So, you know, going back to, who I say, who I was then, but who what's happened then has made me who I am now. It's all, you know, it's I think it's a bigger picture than who I am today sitting here. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't go for the rubbish and everything I'd done. But I, even when I was committing crimes, I used to think to myself, this isn't really me. Where did but it just, all start then? Where are you from originally? I'm from a little town in Epping and uh, we didn't have no money. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't poor. You know, we always presentable, you know, it doesn't cost nothing to be clean. When you say we, who are we talking Me about? Me and my brothers and sisters, I'm one of six. My mum brought us up from, I think I was seven when my parents split up. My dad used to come over, but it was very old fashioned He'd come over to the social club down the road and we'd go and see him down the social club, you know. So, and then when you get into teenagers, I've got it now. My daughter doesn't live with me, my son does. When you get to teenagers, you don't want to go and stay at your dad's house. So we didn't really want to go and stay over there. But yeah, I was playing football. I started playing men's football probably at the age of 13, 14. So I was good. I was small, but I was good. And start looking up to the wrong people. Probably glamorised, probably started even earlier watching films, maybe. I remember the Craze film. I remember that had a bit of an impact with me when I was younger, the uh, Kemp brothers. Yeah. I remember watching that and thinking, oh, blimey, look at like the respect they get and things like that. And we've, I was from a small town, Epping, very small school, 1,000 people, I think, that was in it, maybe a bit more. But I'm one of six and we have four brothers. So every time we went to the school, 
like my older brother would mess around at school and then we'd come in, oh, it's another Stedman, it's another Stedman. So it would, you'd not get time with the brush because I was really, really bad at school. I wasn't horrible. I was just, I was found out later in life I was dyslexic. I didn't do the schoolwork. It was one of them, you're talking to someone behind you and the teacher would say, turn around. I'd get up and turn all the way around and carry on talking. Just a class clown. But being a class clown and making everyone laugh, you walk away from school with nothing. And I, and I could, I wasn't, my son messed around a little bit, but he bucked his ideas up. He passed his tests where he's smart. He passed and got, but I messed around and I, where I wasn't smart in the way of academically. This is not a criticism of your mum, but do you think without your dad being around or a father figure being around, maybe there was a stepfather or... or we were or feral. I'm not feral, but I mean, us boys, he was around. My mum was a very strong woman. But she's bringing up six children. Mm. She's holding down three jobs. And where were you in that six in Middle. terms of age? Right. Yeah. So I'm the making, you know, trying to make everyone laugh sort of thing. Mm. So I've got uh, an older sister, I was the eldest, and then two older brothers, and then a younger brother and a younger sister. Right. Sort of bang in the middle. But me and one of my brothers are 19 months apart. The other ones were very, like, close in age in the middle. But... Uh, yeah, my mum was, you, I can't criticise the way she brought us up, but when we left that front door, we were doing what we wanted, when we wanted. And I had, me, my job now, I had no fear as a child. I would do, there's a little story, my mum says she was talking to the neighbour and she's gone pure white and she said, uh, don't turn around now, Gloria, uh, Frank's up. And I climbed up on the roof and I was standing on the chimney. Mum, look at me, look at me. And she's gone, just calmly turned around and said, Frank, get down. It was a scaffold up the back. I didn't just climb up the drain pipe. So I just think I had that, uh, I, I wrote it down a little while ago, like a confused ambition. Didn't know what I wanted. And then I started playing men's football, going back to what you said. And, I, and then I started in the pub culture at 14, 15 years old watching the blokes, holding the doors, you know, hold the door for a geezer who's doing something else, someone's coming, not knowing. And then you hold the door while someone's beating somebody up. And then it, and before you know it, you know, you go out to the local nightclubs, it's a small town, and they're like, oh, he's all right, him. Because I played foot with him for years. And then it's, oh, can you go and give him that? And it snowballs. But I knew what I was doing. I didn't sit here saying I was, the like these county lines, I was groomed. Maybe I was, wasn't, intentionally groomed like I wasn't somebody's not said oh you know let's get him selling drugs or let's do this that's what you're talking about you're talking about at a young age you were caught up in criminality yeah yeah and I probably looked up to criminality people with uh I didn't know it was criminal records but like they're wearing all the nice clothes they've got all the money playing football on a Sunday they're taking a mickey out the builders going to work on a Monday and they're not and I used to think to myself where you've got no money you think I've just followed that money and then uh, I sort of dabbled in it a little bit. How old were you at this point? Um, probably 16, 17, 18, dabbled in it a little bit. And then and when I, you say dabbled in it, what are we talking about? Passing things around nightclubs, going to a pub, from from a pub to a pub, just, just amongst older friends. I've always got on with older people. And then I stopped. I met somebody, my children's mum, completely stopped started scaffolding, need a proper job, started scaffolding and I was getting paid labourers money, but I had a mortgage and I was I stuck at it for a good couple of years. But I still remember I was in Tesco's buying blue stripe food, a whole trolley full of blue stripe food and I, I was brought up like that. And it was an embarrassment. I was embarrassed about my upbringing, but 
I was embarrassed about, you know, you've got the blue stripe food and you, are you And for those who that? don't know what blue stripe food oh, yeah, is, they don't. So it was it was the cheapest food in Tesco's, but it had white and blue stripes in it. So everybody knew. Now it's now it's maybe jazzed up a little bit and the packaging's not so bad. But if you've got a trolley full of blue stripe food, and I don't know whether maybe subliminally, maybe, I've looked at it and just thought, I've got nowhere. I don't want my son to be brought up like me. I've actually gone nowhere. I'm buying blue stripe food, the food I was brought up on. And I had a trolley full. And it was the just after payday, got paid. And I still remember, and I said, I'm, I said to my children's mum, I'm not doing this no more. And I made one phone call, and I was back in. Back into what? Selling drugs. What was your, your first act of criminality then, selling drugs? Apart from passing, uh, for myself, uh, uh, you know, I, I put the word out that I'm going to get some, like, cocaine, that is. And a couple of people said, oh, I'll get it off you. Yeah. Just friends. And then when you're, I don't drink and smoke, still don't. I, I have the odd glass of wine on my birthday the other week, but <laughs> I don't drink or smoke and I never have been. I've always thought I was going to be a professional footballer. That's what I thought up until. Okay. I remember sitting at school and the headmistress said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a footballer. And she laughed and said, let's be more realistic. And I was like, you've never seen me play football. Mm. But knowing you need a parent behind you, taking you all around the country, I didn't have that. So it's not, not my parents' fault and I probably wasn't good enough either. I had trials, never made it. But um, I just followed the, uh, so yeah, and then for myself, just put the feelers out of, you know, I'm going to start selling little bits of drugs and never told anyone what for. I just was fed up with having no money. Every month I was getting paid, my money was coming out and my children's mum was working for it, like in beauty, I think at the time. And she uh, was making her money and we was, we was young. I had, you know, I had my son but there was, was no 20. Risk. There was no risk doing that though. Working legitimately on a scaffolding site, um, getting a, a wage at the end of the month, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your other half working. It was all legit and there was no risk to you, your missus or, no, or no. then your son who must have been there really young. There wasn't no risk. No. It, was, it was my insecurities of having no money. And I think I jeopardised everything for money. I nearly swore then, but for money, which is, Nothing. Money's and, and what was it? What I find interesting. What was it that you thought money could bring you that you didn't already have? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Uh, I used to, you know, be pushing people in the, at the train to get through the barrier because I couldn't afford to get on the train. Oh, Just little things yeah. and walking from Wolfen Abbey to Epping, which is a good hour and a half walk to get to work. And I was doing scaffolding. If I was working in an office, it might have been less taxing on my body. But I was doing scaffolding. Just started this job, and I'm knackered. And I, it went on and on. And I've, I was a year, two years in. And as a labourer scaffolding back then, 20 years ago, I was getting £60 a day. I was getting £100 a week sub. And at the end of the month, it was coming out of my wages. And I think I was taking home £1,300 at the end of the month. My mortgage was 12 hmm. <laughs> And I was, you know, I wasn't borrowing money because I really didn't have anyone around us to borrow money off of. And uh, I was just, I sort of just run the gauntlet for a while, for a year or two scaffolding. But like you said, there was no risk. If I stayed at it, I always joke around. If I stayed at it, I'm, I'm not with their with their mum anymore. So, but I left the house to her. We but we got a mortgage together, which was fine, you know. So we we was at, we, uh, I couldn't see the wood beyond the trees, mm. and uh, maybe that's no guidance, like you were saying. Mm. I uh, split up with her, give her the house, but I always joke around saying if I stayed, if I didn't go to prison. And I worked in Tesco's. I looked the, about a year ago, me and my partner now, we looked a year ago, a house just ran down the corner to where I bought a house. Bought it for a hundred, 
£127,000. Like my kid's mum, she had a flat, she put a deposit down, we got the mortgage. They're worth like 400 grand there. And I'd have no mortgage. But this is what I, I think is, is interesting, because even though that was, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. 20 years ago, um, you were still in a position that is far better than most people. Oh, I had a house. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't have a car because I didn't have a license, but my partner had a car at the time. And we was just struggling. Mm. And I uh, and I'd be the first to admit it, I probably wasn't mentally strong enough to keep struggling. And I copped out. People think... Into drug, drug dealing. Yeah, drug dealing, yeah. What, what did drug dealing mean for you? Because there's different types of drug dealing, money. isn't there? Yeah. So it's about earning money. It but was, was you a street drug dealer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stand yeah, on the yeah. street corner, handing out little packets. I was of the era of where your, your phone rings. Had a little, like, dodgy phone and then it just rings and someone gets your number. And when you're from, I don't know, uh, your town, but where you're from, a small town, you know everyone. Everyone knows you. And I'm one of four brothers and one of my, my eldest brother, he was in the pubs a lot, like drinking. Everyone knew him. He was brilliant at football, great at darts, great at pool. He was just a real, like, pub guy, but um, big character. And uh, I think we just we just followed in them footsteps of being, like, the lads about town. And I wasn't into drugs as a, a late, like, teenager. I didn't, didn't really think about it. I didn't really like it wasn't my thing so I didn't drink I thought football football I've got to keep fit and were you the black sheep or were your brothers dabbling as well was it kind of something that no, ran through the no, veins no yeah so there wouldn't be dabbling as in selling and things like that but it would be you know taking like recreational taking drugs and drinking and you know maybe one of my brothers might have bought some for him and his mate off of me do you know like but it wasn't I was the one who took it maybe right. to another level as such but like he's keeping bad company. How, how big did it get your drug dealing? Well, I, I was, I was for myself. I was selling wraps, and I was probably at, at the point of me changing drug jobs. Um, so I was at scaffolding, went back to selling drugs, and I built up to probably selling maybe an ounce, two ounces a week with wraps, which was a fair thousand pound a week I was getting. And then um, I got a phone call from someone in the higher drug world to say, you know, do you want to knock that on the head? I didn't drink, didn't smoke. I was a, you know, polite person. And I was maybe not under the radar in my town, but I didn't look the stereotypical, maybe. I don't know what their reasons were. But uh said, you want to come and do bigger drops for loads more money? I'd have to give the phone away that I, I, I had. And then they just said, uh, do you want to come and do some bigger drops, money and gear? Never really asked how much. Just said, yeah. Not at how much money I, was, I never asked how much I was dropping off or to do but I knew these guys mm. driving around in Ferraris and Lamborghinis and not you know it's not small time but when you're in it you, d you blinkered aren't you you're in a bubble mm. and you think to yourself I always joke around if, if someone took me under their wing and put me into business or sports or something I would have naturally progressed through that because it just was that even now I've uh, want more still want more not money wise mm. but just want more out of life and do you think now do you think when you was because it's interesting that you say you got caught up in it because you wanted more than the, the you know the blue stripes that you were pushing down the, yeah. the supermarket you wanted yeah. more for yourself didn't want to struggle didn't want to struggle started drug dealing earning a decent amount of money it sounds like and this yeah. is not an advocate you know i'm not advocating people well, that drug money deal that lasts minutes minutes i'm sure i'm sure it does but yeah. you were then at a point where you were not struggling anymore no i split up with my children's mum and when I split up with my children's mum, 
nothing major happened. We just drifted apart, got together far too young. And the stress of having no money, I think we argued a hell of a lot. Mm. And um, I was single. I had a flat and I was earning probably when I took the job on with, with the other lot who rung me, I was earning thousands of pounds a week. What did that involve? What did Just you drop have him, to... dropping money off, picking money up? So you're talking about like holdalls, yeah, on plastic and, bags full of cash, yeah, yeah, and and drugs, the same, like bags of it. But I never looked at them, like never knew what was in there. It was just drop this. I get a phone call. I got given a phone. Got a phone call from a guy. You could say whoever. I don't like. It's funny because I said I could walk down the street and not know who I was actually working for. I knew a guy who rang me up and said, Frank, you know, can you go and pick this up? It was always the same place I picked up from. And then just go and deliver it to this place here. Here's a phone number. And then it was like a round as such where you get to know the people you're dropping off to. So you'd ring them yourself. But in the beginning, it was like, yeah, introduced to these people. And then it was just like, carry on. How, how often would you say you were every doing day. that? Every day. Yeah. What sort of quantities of drugs or money do you think? I don't you... know, bags full. Like heavy bags full. And when I got arrested, I was like, oh my God, what have I been delivering? I I knew that they had money, but I knew from before, selling a few wraps, you could earn good money. But I, was, I don't know whether insecure is the right word, so I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. It's uh, I was a little bit stupid, really. I didn't really, I didn't think things through. Well, well I, I'm thinking, was it greed at this point? Because you were yeah, thought, moving from... Yeah, I that world. Yeah. I thought, I'm going to naturally progress through this world and I'm going to be driving a Ferrari. Yeah, I'm just trying to Selfish. understand that. I'm trying to understand that kind of, you went from, you, you know, struggling where you wanted to provide mm. more for yourself and your family a little bit. So you got into the drug dealing and then you got past that point. Yeah. And now was it more about greed yeah, and wanting more material things that you took more risk because you were obviously taking bigger risks than just selling yeah. a few wraps now. Yeah, 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 I took more risk. But I was in a world where, I f uh, how can I explain it? I was in a world where it was normal. So I just move up the ladder and then I move up the ladder and then I was buying my kids stuff. I remember my kids' mum saying, can you, every weekend they go to yours, it's like Christmas. How can I compete with that? I said, we well, haven't got to. We didn't see eye to eye. So it's, you know, there were arguments about things like that. But uh, like looking back now, given the materialistic things, you're, you're ruining two human beings there really. And being a role model is a drug dealer. How f***ing scummy Did is Did they that? know then? No. It was, they, my daughter was one when I got arrested and my son was five. Didn't have a clue of what, I, what I'd done because I didn't live with them. So they just thought, oh, didn't even ask actually if it ever worked. It was, you know, 12, 15 years ago. They just was like, Dad's, we're going with our dad the weekend. And uh, yeah, they don't. Uh, luckily enough, it was a long time. They was too young to see it and, and, you know, and be impressed by it. How did it change your life, having more money than you did when you were earning? Well, I didn't, I, I didn't do anything extravagant. I just, do you know when you just, it sounds silly, like walking to Tesco's and I have to worry. And, I, I, you know, I'd go to Lakeside. I'd still shop in Zara and things like that. I wasn't one of these who wore Gucci, Prada and, you know, a, a T-shirt and jeans, but I just didn't worry. And I, and I had a goal in my head, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a house and I'm going to have a, a range over like that and I did at one point I said I was going to retire at 30 I was sitting there thinking right I'm going to retire at 30 and try and do something legit with it but it was I was hook line and, and sinkered in, into that world definitely and I don't know whether it was because 
yeah, as you say, if I wanted to or, or I had to, I think it was more in the end like I wanted to, like you said. Uh, up until this point, had you had any brushes with the law? I mean, did you have a criminal record? Had you no, been nicked? I, I, do you know when you and your lads, uh, you and your mates, we climbed, there were, a window was broken in a local church. We climbed in and got caught and I got arrested for it. And I said, um, if we find, if we go in there, my mum says this story, I can't really remember it. If, if we go in and find your fingerprints everywhere. And I said, yeah, you will. But it, there was boxes of dime bars and I don't like dime bars, so I didn't nick him. My mum said, <laughs> you, he, I was that honest and that stupid, not stupid. She says, we joke around, but she said just everything went over my head and I was just mm. so honest and and you know going into the criminal world was definitely wrong for me you know if, if somebody sat me down and said what are you doing you know stick at this and you'll have a house soon but i don't know i think i was I've, i don't know being popular at school maybe trying to carry that on i've really i've like you say when you've been in prison a long time you really think about it there was a period only 10 days of being in prison night you know staring at the ceiling for 10 days every day and i really had a good hard think I get it when you talk about, um, you know, when you're so ingrained in it, you know, you're oblivious to everything. It's just your world. It's just like a worker's world. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a bubble. I was saying I'm going to work. My mates used to laugh. I'm going to fucking work. Are you kidding me? I was saying I'm going to work. And your work was picking up whatever it is you needed to pick up money, drugs, and dropping it off. Yeah. Um, I hesitate to ask a, a ballpark figure. What would you earn for doing that kind of job? I was earning minimum a couple of grand a week, which was a month's money scaffolding. Where did it go wrong? <laughs> when I started selling drugs. <laughs> um, so I got a phone call saying, this, you've got a big job coming up. And I've never really told anything like that. I just hang around for a little while. And then, uh, so I was told to go and meet a guy in a silver car, Faden Boys, little town. Went there. It's a massive long thing about, I went into a cafe and I saw this black guy. I found out he's an undercover officer. I see him in a cafe. He had an earpiece in. And as I notice things I'm probably sh sharper than I give myself credit to. And I've looked this guy up and down. And I'm like, he's a policeman. He's got an earpiece in. He's in outdoor clothes. I've told the guy, I've just told to meet a bloke in a silver car by and I said, mate, there's there's somebody in that thing. And I think he's watching us in the cafe and he's gone, um, no, nah, it's not for us. We're going miles away. So this was, um, when was this? Like summer, around my dad's birthday, funny enough, because I, was sitting there reading the uh, newspaper when he rung just for April, I think, 2009. Was it 2009? Yeah, 2009. I got arrested. Yeah, it was that same year. And um, I followed this guy in a silver car and I said to him, you know, there's someone in the cafe and that's not for us. And we got all the way to Pontefract, done this drop and met these guys. I handed some bags of money over, which I found out it was £328,000. I found out in my, in my case, in the paperwork. And... Uh, when I turned up, I've been on enough meets to be like, you sort of hello, as you, how we chatted earlier, how's your son, how's your yeah, daughter, yeah, and yeah. who's that, yeah, fine, see you later. But as you're doing it, you're passing over millions or thousands of pounds worth of drugs. And these guys in this land cruiser from up north were like, fucking this, fucking that. And they wasn't, didn't have nothing nice on. If someone's in that world have either got a nice watch or a nice pair of jeans or a pair of trainers, they don't, nobody gets into the drugs world. Like they're getting it to show off, don't they, really? I don't know, but they get in here and once they've got loads of money they'll buy nice clothes or a nice watch and they carry themselves a bit differently i don't know and these blokes just really didn't seem right and uh found out later on they were undercover police officers right, yeah okay. they set up the drug deal so on both occasions on this one drop your instincts was telling you something was wrong i was told by somebody not to do it 
as well. So yeah, not only did you see what you believed was a copper with an earpiece in, and then that was these the same guys... day of dropping the money off. So, and I've had this conversation. Like I worked the other day, I had this conversation with mate at work, and he's like, "You saw what you saw, and you still done it." I said, "You know, if my if our boss now asks you to work Saturday, you, you'll work. Imagine that." 10 times more scarier you're you know you've got a bag of money you've got two bags of money in your car you really think you're not going to drop them off you can't tell these people no but i put myself there didn't i so put myself in that situation but you didn't think it was you 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 had an instinct that something was wrong but you didn't think it was going to be wrong where you get nicked and end up going to prison well so done done the drop at Pontefract and I was driving back and then I pulled in a petrol gauge quickly the guy in a silver car has pulled in behind me and said what are you doing I said I've just seen I need petrol I didn't want to break down or anything like that the guy in the silver car he was your colleague who was following you he to was do somebody the I was told to meet and he was doing all he was just got out of the car and he was talking to I didn't know him he right. was just talking to right. um the undercover police officers but right. he was obviously sorting a drug deal out supposedly and I was just called over got the bags out and um you know they right. said in the paperwork it's something to do with risk get me to drop the bags off sort of thing right, right. and um come back pulled in a petrol station and got out of the car and the guy from Faden boys was in the petrol station the van pulled up next to me i've got out and i locked eyes with him he locked eyes with me and my face dropped and i thought oh, and that's when i knew i knew I, I knew i was getting arrested i just knew it Do you know you just think there's no way you see someone in Faden boys and then see him again the same day and then I spoke to the guy that I dealt with and he said no 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 you must be imagining it and I was like where where I second guess myself where I haven't been the sharpest at all I just believed him I thought well I must have so did he nick you there and then did no they? so it, the case went on and the drugs were picked up and the police arrested the guy on the motorway jackknifed him on the motorway picked up the drugs in the van which was 299 kilos of cocaine and then I went What's on. What's the street value of that amount? Street of value, they said eighty million pounds street value. Yeah, mad. Isn't it? And um I went on the run to Thailand. I got the phone call saying the job's gone over and I was like, What? And they said the job's gone over and I was like, I fing knew it. I said, What do I do now? They said, Leave the country. I said, Where do I go? And they said, Get out of Europe because there'll be a European warrant. And I was like, No way. So I was sitting there thinking, it's funny because I was on the run in England, went down to Cornwall and went down to Newquay thinking I could blend in with the young kids and the, the police were stopping people every night because it was a bit of a young place. <laughs> and I was thinking, what do I do? And I was sitting in a hotel room and the song from the beach come on. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Thailand. So I sneaked over to Ireland and then booked my flight. Last opportunity, got on the plane and flew to Thailand. because so I thought I could go and be a beach bum there. I had a couple of thousand pounds. I think I had, you know, five six seven thousand pound that to my name didn't tell my family it's holding my f up no they knew what i was doing i told them i messed up and um i uh said i've got to, i've got to go they said what's happened i said i can't tell you but i've got to go when you're back I said i don't know i'm interrupting this midpoint to let you know this podcast is also available for viewing on our youtube channel at second chance podcast so if you want to enhance your listening experience with the visuals, check it out. I also wanted to ask for your support to help me grow the podcast. All you have to do is click on the subscribe and like button wherever you listen to the Second Chance podcast. If you can spare another few minutes to comment and rate the show, that'd be brilliant. By doing so, you'll be assisting us in bringing in more guests and creating more content for the show. It only takes a second, but it makes all the difference. Thank you.
when when you see these moments, and I'm kind of visualising the movies now, where you yeah. you you know someone finds himself in a predicament, you are yeah. in Frank, and they go on the run, and it's all glamorised. Yeah. Is that what it was like for you? Was it like, well, I'm off to Thailand, I'm going to leave my kids behind, I'm going to leave my. I was, I, I was probably shaking and an emotional wreck for like three days, thinking, what do I do? And then I'm sitting in a hotel, and it, you know, and it was you're just waking up, and you just got a pressure you're waking up and you've got a cloud above your head and then your money's running out i'm missing my kids you know and i was really really close with my my son and daughter really close we like was inseparable uh, we what didn't live together but you know i was every single weekend i saw them saw them in the week i just take them out on a wednesday night these scummy things i took my kids out on a wednesday night after the drugs got picked up and there was a couple of week gap between me dropping the money off and the drugs being picked up so i knew i've messed up and i took the kids out we was at a little place called High Beach and I was looking at my kids playing the sunset and still still imagining it now. And uh, I started like tearing up. My daughter's gone, what's the matter? I said, oh, I've got hay fever. So I knew I'd messed up. So I took the kids back home and then I got them on the Wednesday, next Wednesday and the helicopter was following us back from Harlow to uh, Wolfen Abbey. And I'm looking and like, my son's going, yeah, still there, Dad. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what is going on here? And talking to people in prison who are like proper criminals, they're like, that helicopter should have fucking overtook you. Whether it was following me or not, I didn't know. But I pulled up at my kid's mum's house. Police have shut the road off. Helicopters hovered above her house. And I thought, oh my God, this is happening in front of my kids. I've ruined my kids' lives. Because I feel like that sort of thing would traumatise them. They rushing about. And they said, have you, and I said, what's the matter? And I'm walking towards them thinking I'll get close enough to say, listen, if you can arrest me, let me just get in the car. The kids were at the back door, the helicopters above the front door. And the kid's mum looked at me and said, that's for you. And I said, uh, yeah, maybe she's gone. What? And that's the first person I told I've messed up. She's like, what do you mean you've messed up? I said, I've fucked up at work and like, I might have to piss off. I said, but it's too late now. And it walked over there and, uh, they said, oh, we're, uh, and they're shouting it to each other. And then they said, oh, we're looking for someone covered in blood. I was like, what? We're looking for someone covered in blood. And we was like, well, no, we're not seeing them. And they've all drove off, looked in my paperwork. You know, when you're reading your paperwork years later in your cell and things just hit you like a light bulb, Wednesday night at about six o'clock, someone went to go and pick the drugs up and they called it off. And I thought, oh my God, I dropped my kids off on a Wednesday night around six, seven o'clock. So whether they was going to arrest me, somebody's called it off, not pick the drugs up. There's no crime. Oh. And the police have shot too early with me. Right. Right. I don't know, but you know, and I, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm an idiot from Epping. A helicopter wouldn't justify it, but then going to prison, you get cut aid and God knows elsewhere. I did. You ran to Thailand? Yeah. How long was you in Thailand? Uh, just under three months. I had enough. One of my friend's houses got raided. Really, really nice bloke. Lived in a really posh road. He sort of, uh, he was an older guy. He rented a car for me and I gave him the cash and he didn't, I didn't tell him what I was doing. And, uh, which is scummy, really, in it. But he, uh, he he let me live at his house when I got out of prison and everything. He's just really, really nice person. And uh, his house got raided and I said, I've had enough. I'm coming home. Didn't listen to anyone. I started, stay out there, stay out there. I said, no, I'm coming home. So, I spoke to uh, my kid's mum and said, will you bring the kids up to see me? I'm slightly confused. So when you when you ran to Thailand, before yeah. you went to Thailand, you borrowed a mate's car. I didn't tell no, him. No, he leased the car for me, sorry. And I gave him cash. When oh, I was right. Up to no and that's the car you use for I the drugs drop. drops drops. Yeah. Right. So he then he gets raided because they think he's connected. Car. Sorry, yeah, ah. didn't explain it properly. Right, yeah. right. So he was connected just yeah. by you and association. Nothing to do with it. No. And um yeah, and then uh 
luckily he's, he's, he's an old forgiving bloke and he, he forgive me and he so he even says now Frank I don't know how you've got in that world I don't know what what, what was you thinking I'm like well you know you, you keep them things secret from people that don't do you think you ask people advice because you know what they're going to say mm. you wouldn't ask someone advice to tell you not to do something if you didn't no. yeah but there's no extradition in Thailand how did they get you I, I handed myself in when oh. I handed myself in I flew home I said, I've had enough. Will you bring, will you, I said to my kids, mum, will you bring the kids up to see me in prison? We wasn't together, but she said, of course I will. So I'm coming home. And I got arrested on the aeroplane. I was uh, sitting in my seat listening to English Country Garden. I can remember it. <laughs> and we landed at Heathrow. We said, Heathrow, Gatwick. Why though? Why, why did you? You're in I Thailand. Enough, I had enough. I hated Thailand. I was missing my family. I didn't speak to my kids because I didn't want to imagine the police going around to my mum's house and she'd have to lie to the police where I was. And things I just found them things it all come down on me when when it happened maybe the real me come out then of like what was I fucking doing and I didn't want my kids mum's house to get raided next and my children be in bed and they're screaming booting the door down because they put the pressure on you know being in prison knowing now they put the pressure on so you will come home they knew where I was because I flew on my um passport so I just come home before it got any worse and face the music and got arrested, yeah, on my, in my seat in the airplane. They, they got you off the plane, so they knew you yeah, were on your... the airport police come on. There was two plane clothes people behind him, and I didn't think nothing of it. They're pointing in my seat, and I've got my eyes closed. The Australian kid, I've been talking the whole way. It's a straight flight going home from Thailand. And I was telling him what to do, and they're coming over, and I'm thinking, oh, this is for me. And even, like, a glimmer of hope, I think, maybe it's not for me. Thinking back now, it is for me. And I've jumped up. They've said, right, you're Frank Stebbin. They said, uh, you're nicked. And I was like, no shit. And I've jumped up to say, like... Well, let's get off the plane then. He's fucking get back in your seat. Whole part of my plane started screaming. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Pointing know? guns yeah. at you. But it was airport police. So I don't know whether it was a real gun or a stun thing, but the gun's in my head. And I'm like, I'm just getting my bag. And in the soccer, found out later, or the serious organised crime agency, she put her hand on his shoulder, dropped it down, and we just walked off. And I shook the soccer bloke's hand that night after about three, four o'clock in the morning after all the interviews, because I said to the airport police, I think my children are outside. Is there any other way you can take me out? And he said, no, don't worry. We'll just wrap your coat around your hands. And the soccer bloke took him in the room. He's come out white-faced. And he said, we're going to take you out the side door. So at the end of the night, I know probably people would uh, say, oh, you call yourself a criminal. <laughs> I don't really care. I just shook his hand and said, thanks for that earlier because my kids were out waiting for me at the airport with my mum. What was you charged with in the end? I was charged with conspiracy, supply class A and money laundering. And but your... Money laundering was left on file. Oh, right, okay. It's a drugs thing. I think they do that to see if you're going to try and wiggle out of your confiscation later on. Right, okay. And you went guilty or...? Pleaded guilty, yeah. And Ple got Not at uh, first opportunity. My brief said to me, I didn't know what was going on. My barrister said to me, plead guilty later on, Frank, because you, you lose all your, you know, you lose your, when you're on remand, your clothes and your canteen and things like that. So I just pleaded guilty. I know I was going to plead guilty from day one. At the last minute, so you could stay on remand, yeah, yeah, yeah. get visits and all get that visits kind of stuff. and that, yeah. And that was it, really. That was advice from my barrister. When you were on remand briefly and you start, the case started to unravel, so you knew you were involved yeah. in a little, you know, organised crime game yeah. because you were when shifting the, a lot of money and a lot of drugs. Yeah, when, even, the, when the police officer... Uh, Read out my charges. You've been uh, blah blah blah. Uh, you've been arrested to supply um, conspiracy supply class A. And I went to court the next day. They read out my charges. How much drugs involved? I was gobsmacked. I was like, "What the? F this is like, like you said earlier, like TV. What the? F you know?" Mm. And I remember the court people. He's a Jamaican guy. Really funny. And he's I'm in clothes probably similar to this. Just come back from Thailand, traveling out of a rucksack. Probably look like shit, really. 
and they're like joking around calling me Pablo and I'm like mate I, I'm a minute part of what's gone on here but this is interesting actually because all the way through this conversation um you you've been considerate you you cared about your family your kids and everything around you you know this kind but these acts of being a drug dealer being involved yeah, it's quite yeah. selfish as yeah, well yeah, though isn't it I'd say when people say oh, i sold drugs to uh, to to make my family better for my it's as, as if you sell drugs to make your family's life better but at the time i actually thought money would make my life better and i've still got a little bit of that now you know a scaffold and good money but there's still a part of me now that would love a farmhouse. Mm. And, you know, I, I suppose anybody's like that, but I just wouldn't do anything ridiculous to get it now. But it's it's a massively, when people say, I was trying to make my family's life better, because you get to a point where your children and your family don't need what you're, what you're doing. Like, you know, I was earning £2,000 a week. No one needs that much money. As much as as nice it is, it's it's a massive selfish. Like I was massively selfish through them times, and probably enjoyed it a little bit. You know, jumping queues at nightclubs. It was. It I went on for a, a period of a year, and uh, I could see a future in it for myself. Thinking, you know, I'm going to have loads of money one day. Never, never once thought about how this would affect my children. And, and like, the consequences. And the consequences. Yeah. And what were the consequences in that court when you pled guilty? I got um, nine years, which I was very lucky, I think. My two co-Ds got 28 years. Two got off. They, I think they won an appeal later on because so it was an importation, eh? as was just a conspiracy to supply. They said there was a PI, PI, P or PII? And PII, our, public interest. Yeah, in so our, our, um, our case starts like in the middle of a book, a meeting at a hotel. And they're like, what happened before? My barrister said to me, you know, the police have arrested importers and they pretend it's been the importers. That's what they think. But um, yeah, I've got nine years. But, you know, everything that happened in prison was my punishment. And the things that happened in prison were horrific. Like, absolutely horrific. I was, my brother took his own life a month into my prison sentence. And I put in to go to his funeral. And then um, they looked in to go to my funeral, Wormwood Scrubs. Looked in to letting me at his funeral, saw what I got arrested for, cut me and put me in the block for 10 days in Wormwood Scrubs. It weren't as bad as when you was in the block, but it was bad. And I was in the block for 10 days and I uh, wasn't allowed to go to my brother's funeral, yeah. And, you know, these are the... This is one of your brothers took his own yeah, life while you were away. brother, yeah. Month in. So this is, you know, I don't know and feel sorry for me. If you get involved in crime, this is what happens. You know, you go to prison, one of your loved ones, they, I said to him, what happens if well, it was one of my children? They said, you still wouldn't have gone. They, Wormwood Scrubs looked at to let me go to funeral. They said, I slipped the net, put me in the block for 10 days. I was in the block for 10 days, dealing with what's just happened to my brother. And every day they was, I know what they was doing now, but every day they were saying, oh, we're just waiting for the home office to get back. They just didn't want me to kick off. The funny, mm. the block screw said to me, oh, if you stay here, do you want a job down here? Because, you know, your, your bedding's dropped at the door and I, my bed was made before he's come back round. And I was just, where you're in the block, just stare. Mm. And I said earlier, like, I stared at the ceiling and thought to myself, what have I done? I've dragged my family through absolute shit and uh, paid a massive price for it. And it's even harder, isn't it, if your family are not caught up in the criminal world? No. I mean, if they are, they Perhaps have some I didn't know anybody who's been arrested. I didn't know anyone who's been a prison. Like, when people say, my dad's mate has been a prison, I didn't. Like, it was all glamorised on TV for me. This is, you know, this is my argument with the kids of today. It's, it, it, every people glamorise this world. It's, it's not real. All that glamour's shit. It's all bollocks. They talk about the wannabes. Um, what was prison life 
like for you? I going back to being at school, I, I just found my place of being the class clown. I was good at football, so you know you sort of <laughs> find your way. I like him because he's good at football, and I wasn't a liar. I wasn't sneaky. I uh, didn't embarrass myself. I don't think with like you know taking drugs out of my head and things. I had a, I had a drink of hooch one night at my mate's birthday, but I was paralytic and got carried into my cell by a screw and, <laughs> and Nick for it. But uh, yeah, it was an. Everything that happens outside, you've got to forget about. I, I accepted it very early on, but I think with what happened to my brother a month in, in segregation, I saw, I, I said to myself, like, this is your fault and this you need to accept it now. And don't, you know, don't let it sort of prison broke me a, and fixed me in a way. Do you know what I mean? Did you, did you, 80 million pound drugs conspiracy comes with a bit of a reputation? Yeah. You, like you said, when you first came, although that tag was on you and you were shot by the, the volume of drugs, you were no Pablo Escobar. You were not a drugs. But did you ride that reputation in prison? Well, so no, I say, so I got cat-aid after, oh, it was, we was on remand. So is it really cat Is it pot-A, isn't it? So yeah. I got cat-aid. Yeah. And um, all my codies, realising that it's propaganda, so everyone gets a guilty and cool. Mm. And uh, I got cat-aid from the segregation. So in segregation for 10 days, I was sent to Belmarsh. And I was half the size I am now. Well, I was probably 11 stone. Uh, long blonde hair like curtains and you know looked as vulnerable as you like but I didn't see any of my family till for months because of the KA system of your family getting interviewed my dad and my kids and my kids mum got cleared really quickly and it's funny my not funny my sister and my mum didn't get cleared and they come up for a Christmas visit and they turned them away and said there's a problem with the paperwork and last time I saw my mum's on a closed visit three days after my brother died so like these things that you're putting your family through for a bit of in money your drug money is stupid anyway with the ka as horrific as it was i didn't see my family it helped me day to day because i had a big fucking a on my door and where mm. you look like me people mm. left me alone and what are you ka for and i said i just got involved in a big drugs case and i dropped a bag couple of bags of money off but like you say i i didn't ride it as in going around telling everyone i wasn't one of them oh, i'm in for mm. this and in for that mm. i was in i was in worm and scrubs and then got sent to bill marsh me and my co-deeds were all on that uh, is it called Beirut, that first mm. wing in Belmarsh, which is horrific. So everyone sort of knew who you was and you got that A on your door. Didn't have the book or anything like that, just had the, the A on okay. the door. And I wasn't moved. I was kept on a wing and I was on that wing and then we got moved to the Woodhill, in the, the yep. prison yep. within the prison. That yep. um, I call, We call it the unit, but is it called the CSS or something? Yeah, one Close of those supervised, yeah. supervised unit, that was Woodhill. Weird. That was weird. Yeah. I went in there and... Um, I, we was in there for a little while and I pleaded guilty, had a couple of hours with code. I didn't know my codes when we all got arrested. I think what happened is it, they went out of the circle, reading the paperwork, it looks like they went out of their normal circle and it's as like everyone got arrested. Right. So when I got arrested, I was in a room with people and I was like, who the f*** are you? I was telling a guy waiting to go on a visit and a bloke stood up and said, oh, I'm your code. I was like, oh, blimey. So, you know, and, and, and that, that has its problems because of, uh, you know, if you're arrested with two of your brothers, you can all get your story straight and God knows, but mm. I pleaded guilty. And I was like, why the fuck have you pleaded guilty? We was going to say that it weren't a crime. I said, mate, I've been told I'm going to get 18 years if I, if I get caught up in all of this as an organiser, you know, and I joked around with him and said, give my kids £50,000 and I plead not guilty. You're not going to do that, are you? And I said, I'm pleading guilty, mate. I'm guilty. There was a video of me, Raph, of carrying a bag 
putting the money in there. I've walked off and I've said to the guy, you can't tell that's me. He said, wait. And there was like four seconds left. Second, second, two seconds left. I've turned around, paranoid. I opened the car door. This is the money drop. Turned around and the police, uh, ob ob like oboing it, they zoomed into my face with the camera. <laughs> so I was like, there's no way I'm pleading not guilty. I don't care. And anyways, but yeah, that was all like, it was all just prison out. Well, you had to be selfish once again to look after yourself. Yeah. People often say prison. I'm just talking about your time in prison now. Yeah, P yeah. People come and they say, oh, I got in this fight, I did this, I saw this, I witnessed that. Was anything like that? Uh, I had a couple of, uh, not rows, but close calls because I was a bit of a rough footballer. Not rough, I come from a football family and yeah. it was centre midfield. And yeah. my brother told me, if you don't tackle hard. Mm -hmm. So a couple of like young, like gangbangery lads, I broke like two, two blokes' ankles and they was like, threatening to do God knows me and I'd front that the next day. But, mm. I've, you know, one thing, a friend had a fight at the servery and I picked right. the guy, I just got my decat. He beat this guy up, which happens all over grabbing food at a servery. You know, it's like it's so it's silly. Tough. I mean, it, found, it come about that he raped an old lady. It's probably why the screw's never done anything. And I just got my decat, so I picked him up, wiped his head and put him in his cell and said, stay in here. And the lad's like, why are you helping him? I said, I've just got my decat. They walk in the servery and there's a bloke landing for you, blood everywhere. I'm not, you know, mm. I'm not going home to see my kids that Christmas. My first home leave was um, going, I went to North Sea Camp, which was a terrible place. But they said, if you go there, you'll be home first home leave three days before Christmas. I thought, I've got to take it. I don't care where I'm living and who I'm living around. I've got to get out and see my children, like, in out of prison environment. My kids used to come in on a visit. My mum used to say, oh, he's funny, but sad. They walk in and put their arms out and lift their souls up. Like, your young children shouldn't know things like that shouldn't experience that luckily my daughter doesn't remember it but my son does did prison change you yeah massively in what way i was probably i was happy go lucky before it all and i still am but i think it um it's made me paranoid but then that that works in your favor in a way of like you second guess yourself um it definitely toughened me up definitely there's a yeah and it, uh, the thing with what happened to my brother, I sort of made that decision of, you know, don't let this break you. But it, it, it turned me into, uh, not I wouldn't say a horrible person. It, I was never a horrible person, but it just turned me into just like a bit of numb. Like I wasn't a dad, I wasn't a son, I wasn't a brother, I was just a prisoner. And I knew that. So I'd come home from home leaves. I was doing dog walking at one point just working out in a decat and I, I had enough said I'm, I'm meant to be a prisoner I said just, just put me back into prison until I get released and I went and worked in the gym in the decat because I just you know you're going out every day mm. walking the dogs and I was just like thinking oh my god I can't imagine you pick a buy a Mars bar and you're leaving your pocket accidentally you're losing so much risk of losing your home leaves I just had enough and I was just like I just want to get this prison sentence done but it um, definitely made me a lot sharper with undesirable people like you learn you like to learn very quickly like in Belmarsh in prison these two older older brothers who were in prison give me a little crash course and uh they are uh, telling me about prison you know people putting it on you and this that and the mm. other but I didn't I had a couple of them things with with myself at football and then I didn't really I saw you know a guy's got Liam Perrins bottled in the face twisted it in his face sitting next to him on the bike in the gym and like, I spoke to him afterwards like a couple of days later and he was all stitched up and he said uh, I beat the bloke up in another prison so well, you know what do you expect he was an older like Jamaican bloke and he was really uh, 
like quite a level-headed bloke. Yeah, so it, it, the things that you probably go through, like you would definitely would agree with, someone gets stabbed or beaten up on the yard, you walk him around, you're not worried about them on the floor, you think, fuck, we're going to get banged up now. Like you'd step over them and say... Such it, an interesting observation, it's it like, so true. It desensitises you. Yeah. Like I come out, like my mum said when I come out, she said you was just like yeah. numb. Not numb, I wasn't a, like um, a zombie, but like you got, I had no... I don't know. Yeah, just decent. I think that you just hit the nail on the head. You know, you you do. You observe someone almost losing their life and you're Mm. worried about not getting association that evening. It's going to fuck up the the days eventually. You might not get to play football match tomorrow because there's going to be a lockdown for a search and all that. And yet some guy is, you know, some guy, some brother is in in hospital. How long did you serve out of your sentence? Four and a half years. I served half of nine, yeah. Right. So you got out. I've done a lot in a decat as well. I behaved. I never, never got one right up. And um, I I got a decat with thirty months in Loudon Grange because I was giving them there, and then I but I got to the decat. You can't go there. Was it twenty four months at the time? So I went there, bang on on the date of they like when I got there. And I said, "Cool, you've got here early." And I said, "Yeah, I've not, I've not." Had- did you use the prison wisely? Did you do any courses in there? Well, did you better yourself educationally? I tried or anything? English educational, but the guy said to me, "Frank, I've never met somebody who does English." Uh, 18 months of English and you cannot spell this word that you practice. Um, I found out later in life I was dyslexic, but just through spelling, I've just wrote a book. I've had it rewritten. I've got a book coming out in October. I've got a guy, not a ghostwriter, but he was. He, he, I wrote it and he rewrote it. And he said to me, oh my God, Frank, you've got talent and you never knew you had it. It's just telling got to work story. out. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, so... I tried English, never really worked. Um, but do you know when you're on remand, because I was on remand for like 11 months, they won't let you do courses because mm. you're going to move prisons. Mm. And we moved quite a lot on remand. And then I got into a, a gym heavy prison, which is Loudon Grange. So I, I went to the gym. But And then when I got to the DCAT, I'd done my personal training qualification. But physically, that's probably how I kept my strength physically. And probably... In the decat, I got super, super fit. And no, no one, anyone who was in that decat, me, no one could get anywhere near me with training. Mm. And like people used to come and say, I'll do circuits. And I'm like, yeah, and I think, oh, he looks fit. And then before you know it, you're lapping him because mm. of that mental strength, I think, that I gained earlier in my sentence. I do think it definitely helped me and hindered me, hindered me, makes you and breaks you, I think. I don't know. And we ain't got long left, Frank, so yeah. I just want to get an idea. Congratulations on writing a book. That yes. sounds like be interesting to read for sure. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? To be frank. To be frank. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I I've come up with everything. You know, I've had uh, lugheads and it's a long story. I'll tell you off camera, but I, 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 yeah, I've come up with everything in it. Good. I've had it held written. To be frank, love it. Where... Where is your second chance in life come then? Did it did it come when you started to deal drugs and and the whole of your trajectory of life changed, or did it come when you were released from prison, or hasn't it come yet? Where's your second chance? I think my second chance came when I got arrested. It, it showed me who I really was. I didn't have to be this big, like gangster I am bloke. Be uh, and it taught me to be who you are, and who you are is enough for the people that matter. So, uh, yeah, I think my second chance was that and I had a heart attack the other month, uh, the other year, sorry, and that's given me a kick up the arse from an infection. A heart that's, attack? Yeah, I had an infection through uh, and my heart swelled up and bang and I had a bit of funny turn at work and I was in hospital. I was off work for 16 months and that pushed me into doing this. I, I spoke to a friend who was a prison officer and he said, Frank, get, you know, go and tell. I, I underestimated the power of conversation until I started doing these. 
I've had messages all over the world saying thanks. My son was out the other week and the bloke said, I watched your dad's podcast and I've stopped selling drugs. I've, I've done my job. Absolutely. And what would your, what, what is the moral of your story, Frank, do you think? Crime doesn't pay. And if you get involved in crime, it, it is not Range Rovers and Rolex watches. It's a death in your family and you're not there to support them and you having no support when, when the chips are down. And also, it's a selfish, selfish, temporary life. Anyone who's involved in crime and drugs or whatever, that lasts a minute part of their life. And it still affects me today. I had a heart attack and I applied for jobs because I couldn't go back to scaffolding. I didn't get a job. And I wouldn't, Raph. If someone mm. come to me and same qualifications, one's got criminal, one hasn't. I've been to prison. I still wouldn't hire the criminal record person. You wouldn't, would you? Until you met them, obviously. You wouldn't call them in. You'd, you know, I just think that getting involved in crime, it just has no future and you're just going to hurt everyone and yourself. You're going to ruin yourself. I nearly ruined myself, didn't I? Going to prison, being in segregation, not, you know, I'm lucky. Touch wood, maybe my mum's strength from a child, you know, something in me got me out of prison in, in one sort of frame of mind as such. And and all the bridges that were burnt when you were being arrested, going to prison, and the things you put your family through, have they been rebuilt? Yeah, there was they. I, I, my family, it was never burned. There was always there. Luckily, I'm lucky because people aren't that lucky. Hmm. You know, my it happened. My family's like, well, what do we do now? And then when that happened with my brother, they was like, oh, yeah, no. Hmm. So uh, you know, I've had nothing but support from my family and friends. Maybe there is people that I've not noticed maybe drifted away, but I've, I haven't really noticed that. But I'm one of six, you know, a, f a family barbecue for us is 32 people with grandkids. So, we, mm. you know, your friends are your brothers and sisters sort of thing. And what does tomorrow hold? You're a scaffolder at the moment. You've written a book. What does yeah, tomorrow hold? I, I've, uh, I've, I've wrote a book, Scaffolder. I've done a couple of, uh, well, a, a couple of these, which has gone really well. I've done a, a program, which coming out on Channel 4, which looks really, really promising and good for... You know, and hopefully somebody sees my story and I just want to, do you know, I'd like to go down in history as someone who's helped somebody in the end. And I didn't realise that my story could help other people. And that, that's the perfect thing, though, because I think when you do, you start to go on that path where you determine to change people's lives, where I think just hearing what you have to say, yeah. listening to where your life changed, how it changed, why it changed, yeah. and how you talk about it is enough to help people it's without real. knowing you're it really, really doing it. Like you can, you know, I got arrested for that amount of drugs. You know, the people that put me in the newspaper locally also put my brother's death in the newspaper. Like, you know, these things, I've had ITV interview me, ITV News interview me to sound the same thing as you, like your stories. I underestimate it. To me, it's just, oh, it's my boring story and everyone's, the kids are like, shut up sort of thing. Mm. But I just uh, just want to be true to myself and help people, really. I think that's what you're doing. Frank, thanks so much for and coming in for... and talking to me. It's a pleasure, mate. Thanks. For... Thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Second Chance podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. Quick reminder that you can find the video of this interview on our YouTube channel at Second Chance Podcast, where you can also subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please share our episodes with your friends, your family and colleagues and follow us on YouTube and your preferred podcast platform for updates on new episodes. Your feedback is also crucial to the growth of this podcast. 
please rate and review our episodes and let us know your thoughts in the comments section. This podcast was brought to you by Second Chance Media Productions. Audio Avalanche handles audio editing. J-Row Productions created the original soundtrack. Studio Minerva designed the eye-catching cover. Social media marketing agency Scribble manages and creates our social media content. If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and LinkedIn. Just look for the Second Chance podcast with me, Raphael Rowe. Thanks for tuning in. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.